some time to get there. And um, just as I was about to come up here my, before the service started, my wife asked me, are you nervous? I'm like, well, not really, because I've had to stand before many judges before. And, but she said, well, let me remind you that you're standing before the ultimate judge. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for those words of encouragement, love. It is, no, it is a sobering reminder because there's definitely a weight that comes with it and I just want to do right by the truth and the word of God. So if you join me in prayer before starting, Lord, come before you, Lord, and I ask you, Father, that you have your way, Lord, in this message, Father, that your Holy Spirit leads, that you prepare our hearts, Father, to receive the wonders and the riches and the instruction, the correction, but the hope that comes from thy word. Father, I ask that you remove all of my own opinions and biases because at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. Lord, I ask that you give us ears to hear and all these things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So I want to present a few questions that I want you to keep in mind as we go through this message, as we go through Romans. Our main text would be Romans 6, 15 to 23, but we'll also be touching some of chapter 8 of the book of Romans. But I want you to think of this, and I'm going to ask these questions now. Christian, do you know that you are free? Yes. I see a lot of, I see a lot of head nods. Yes. Easy to, easy, easy to answer, right? Yes, the truth shall set you free. Now, Christian, let me ask you this as well. Did you know that you are a slave? This is that time. You might be thinking... Look at this guy. Gets on the pulpit once his first thing he does is call me a slave. <laughs> Pastor, what have you done? It is. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reality is that we will see we were slaves to sins one before, once before. But now I'll ask this. Did you know, Christian, that you are a free slave? That makes no sense. What kind of oxymoron is that, Albert? You are a free slave. And to top it off, you are to have joy of being a slave. So let's go to our text. Now in Romans 6, chapter 15, Paul starts with a question. And the question is the following. What then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. And if you notice, if you look if you look out 15 verses before that, 14 verses, I should say, he presented a very similar question, but not the same question in verse 1. What does verse 1 say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, is his answer. Now there's a reason for this. Remember that Paul, I love how Paul does this, and I believe the book of Romans is one of the greatest exposition of doctrine. And Paul already anticipates the objection and the question that his hearers or his audience have in their minds. He basically says, this is what it is, but because I know what you're thinking, let me answer that question before you even raise your hand. So he's talking about sanctification before that. The reality that the believer in their newness in Christ, in their new reality, their new position in Christ, being rescued from slavery to sin, now standing as slave or enslaved to righteousness and to Christ. With that comes sanctification because of the new 
man. So Paul, because of his history, we should say, we all know that he was a Pharisee. In fact, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Let's not, remember, let's not forget that. He already anticipated the objections. Why are you saying now, Paul? That we can sin? That we have a free license to sin now because we're under grace? We don't have rules or laws that apply? You said we're not under the law. Is that what you're trying to say? Are you a hyper-grace preacher now? <laughs> Certainly not. In fact, right after that, he goes to a slave still. A slave to righteousness. Now, Albert, why do you keep using that word slave when I read my Bible it says servant? Now, servant is just a nice way of saying the same thing. <laughs> we still get the whole picture of looking at it. And when you look at the Greek word, which, by the way, the Testament, Romans, is written in Greek, the word is doulos, which literally means slave. It has no other meaning. It is slave. And even when it's translated as master, I'm sorry, as servant, it means slave. Now, the thing with servant is that servant has at least about six different words that you can use that could be servant. But not with two us. It only means slave. And it's the word that is used throughout this epistle. And by the way, more than 120 times in the New Testament. Wow. Kind of gives us a clearer picture, right? So let's go through the verses. And it says... What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, servants, do loss, slaves to obey, his servants, or slaves, ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Now that brings us to the first point that I want to make today. And the point is this. You are a slave whether you want to accept it or not. Because if you are an unbeliever, if any unbeliever gets to hear this message, that person needs to understand their position. And the position is not a freedom, not that because somehow I don't have religion controlling me, rules imposed by a church or a book written thousands of years ago, I am free. In fact, the only source of truth is the Bible. And we all know that. And the Bible says, God says that ye are servants or slaves of sin. This was a reality, Christian. You know, I love that pastor reminded us in his preaching this morning that he's been talking to us for the last four weeks or so about hope. And encouraging us to have hope. Hope in God. Hope in his word. And now comes this guy after being uplifted, and he calls me a slave. Way to make me feel bad about myself. But my friends, I guarantee you, by the end of this message, you will see that being a slave is a source of hope and joy. And it says, next verse, but God be thank that ye were the servants of sin. It is a statement, right? You were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now the reality is that being a slave to sin or a do loss 
It means that you are not your own. You're not your own owner, even though that, might, that is what you may think. Sin completely overpowers you. Sin completely controls you. Sin controls your emotions, your thoughts, your affections. In fact, Romans 1.21 says, Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. You notice that. Even though they knew Him, they glorified not as God. Neither were thankful, but become vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And men loved darkness. Remember that I said that it controls your affections. Who do you love? What do you love? Rather than light, they love darkness rather than light because the deeds were e- their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hated the light, neither commit the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Did you catch that? Men love darkness. This was your reality, Christian. Now, as I was saying that, if another scripture came to your mind that talks about being a servant and not being able to serve one master or two masters, I should say, then you were paying attention in Sunday school. Because yes, that is Matthew 6, 24, where the Lord says, no man can serve. Now serve there being the word dulios, which is an action verb to be enslaved, to be enslaved to masters. Now when you think about the word master, the Greek is Kurios, which means Lord, which means despot, or the other word, which is a synonym, is despotos, which means sovereign, ruler, ruler of all. Matthew 6, 24 says, for either he will hate the one and love the other. You know, the Bible commands us to serve, and you can draw a picture of serving multiple people because we are to serve our wives, men, serve our spouse, we are to serve our church. We have to serve our brethren, right? We're called to serve. So it might not be as clear when you say, well, no one can serve to masters. For either you will hate the other one and love the other. But when you say no one can be enslaved or owned by two masters, for he will hold to the one and despise or hate the other, it starts making more sense. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. That is the reality. There is no gray. It's either black and white. You either serve and love sin. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Now, there's other scriptures that I can go, even in Jeremiah, where even after a warning that Jeremiah brings to the people, 15 or 17, and I'll just take a part of the verse where he says, their response was the following. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goes forth out of our own mouth. Did you see that? We'll do whatever we want. We'll do whatever we please. Even after hearing the word of the Lord. Even after hearing the pronouncement of judgment. The warning. We don't care. That is what sin does. It controls the will. That was your position. That was what you were enslaved to. The natural unredeemed person is under the tyranny and dictatorship, abusive dictatorship of sin. And that is the reality. That is the reality. Well, Albert, you know what? That's said and fine. You know, we, we talked about, we quoted a lot of people, but I listened to the red words. You know, I listened to what Jesus said. 
Okay. John 8, 34. Jesus said, red letters. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whomsoever committed sin is the servant. Guess what a servant is there? Doulos, slave of sin. Red letters. So that is the reality of the unregenerate sinner. You are a slave, whether you like it or not, but you are a slave to sin. Now, they might not care about this reality. Why is that? It's foolishness to preach reformation to a sinner. They can't understand that, right? Until God renews them and transforms them. In fact, Romans 12, 2, what does it say? And be not conformed to this world, but ye be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. That's how darkened and lost we were. I think you might start to see where I'm going with this. Why should I have joy in being a slave? We'll get to that. Now, I want to present this other reality. And it's that now, for the Christian at least, you are a slave to righteousness. Wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute, brother. I think you might be being a little delusional there. Because I thought I was a friend of Jesus. Not his slave. He's my friend. He calls me a friend. Oh, yeah. He does. And in fact, I want to draw an illustration with this. Present an illustration. Brother, look, do you mind participating in an illustration for this one? All right. You don't have to stand up right from there. By the way, the illustration already started. I want you to notice what just happened there. By me approaching Luke very, very, I just deceived him into believing that he had a choice. The illustration had already started. And now I would force you. Luke is just part of the illustration. He already said yes. That is what false doctrine does. False teaching and false doctrine tells you that you have an opinion that the Bible doesn't give you an opinion. Tells you that you have a choice but the Bible doesn't give you a choice. Tells you your opinion matters. Or it doesn't. Now let me get back to the friend issue. Right? Because Jesus is my friend. Okay. John 15, 14 says, well, by the way, red letters. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now let me continue the illustration, right? To make a point. Hey, Luke, you know what? Um, Moved from San Antonio not too long ago. I haven't really been able to make a lot of friends here in Austin. You seem like a really cool guy. Do you mind being my friend? Yeah, sure. You know that. We're already becoming buddies. <laughs> by the way, before we embark in this great new friendship, let me tell you something. If you want to be my friend, you need to do whatever I command you and tell you to do. Okay? Okay. Now, this is a long time that Luke starts realizing that he might have rushed into this friendship. But he should have maybe listened to his wife when he said, well, maybe you should get to know him a little bit better. Well, Jesus says, what was his words? Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Last time I checked, a lord, a master has the authority to command you. 
And we call him Lord all the time. Don't we call him Lord? Absolutely. Jesus is my Lord. So Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And then I do not do the things which I say. Right. Red letters. If you don't do the things he says, that he commands as Lord, sovereign ruler, you are not his servant, his slave, his follower. He's not your Lord. And I said a prayer, preacher. I called him my Lord and Savior, and I was saved. John 14, 15 again. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, back to the point of false prophecy or false teaching. 2 Peter 2, 1 says, But they were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Now, that's a key word there. Bought them because last time I checked, when you buy something, it belongs to you. You have the authority over it, you have the right to enjoy it. If it's a house, right, you have the right to possess it, to use it, to sell it, to rent it out. It's yours. As you know, for a living, I write documents that make you own things. It's yours. The Lord has bought you. You were purchased with price. Do you see that? You're starting to understand here where we're going with this? Problem is that slavery, and rightfully so, has a negative connotation to it. Right? For a second there, you might have thought that I wasn't paying attention to history class or something. No, it is. And thank God for his abolishment, right? But you know, we have to. Look at the context. What was slavery in the first century when this was written? They knew what it was. Slavery was a huge part of the economy. Slaves could be doctors, slaves could be lawyers, you name it. It was a huge part of the economy. They understood what it was to be a slave. But there's one thing that it doesn't matter where you place slavery in time and history that always, always happens. And it's the fact that you don't have your own identity because you belong to someone. You belong to someone else. You know, and the thing is, first century Christians, they knew. They knew what it was to be slave. Second Peter 1 1 says, Peter writing, Simon Peter, their servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, Simon Peter, the rock where this church was established. You know, he said, a servant, a doulos, a slave. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, the servants, the doulos, the slaves of Jesus Christ. James 1.1, James, a servant, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even James, he didn't say James, the half-brother of Jesus, when he could have. I mean, if he wanted to give himself some credibility, the half-brother, no. He calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. Acts 4 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants, thy slave, that with all boldness that we might speak thy word. Now, brother, what are you trying to say with this? Why are you making this such a point 
that we are slaves. But the thing is that our reality changed, but our identity might have not changed. Why is that? Because before we were a slave to sin, but now we're a slave to righteousness, righteousness, slave to God. Just like the Exodus, right? He delivered him from slavery to Egypt to what? To obey him and serve him in the wilderness. Obedience to God, righteous living to God, that is what it means to be a slave to God. And if we don't acknowledge this truth, we should check ourselves. First John 1 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. Do not do the truth. First John 2 4 says, He that said, I know him, and keep not his commandment, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But Christian here is when you should have hope. First John 3 9. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remain in him, and he cannot sin, because he is the bo- he is born of God. And praise God for that reality. Now you have to say, you have to gather everything that I've just shown you and I've told you, and see how that's applied to you. If I am a slave to someone, I can only obey that person, or I can only obey that thing. Well, if you're not a slave to sin anymore, you don't have to sin anymore. Amen. You're not under his power anymore. You're not under his grasp anymore. It's not a choice. It's not, well, well brother, well, I'm, I'm flesh, and, and I am weak. Yes, and we know that. Paul talks about that warring of, of a new law in his members and the spirit against the flesh and all that. But praise God for his mercy that you are not enslaved to anyone. You can choose not to sin. You can choose not to sin. I really struggle with this. I really struggle with that. I can't get away from my lust. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. You cannot serve two masters, right? Well, guess what? You're not enslaved to sin anymore. You're enslaved to God and to righteousness. You're no longer no longer bound, Christian, to sin. So that should produce hope. I told you I was going to bring it back to hope. Being a slave should produce hope. Because now I don't have to live in darkness. Now I don't have to live in iniquity. Now I don't have to live as a servant of lawlessness. Now I don't have to live blind. Now I don't have to live as an enemy of God. Now I don't have to live as a son of the devil. Or a son of wrath. For I have been renewed Transform, purchase with a price. Now let's continue in Romans verse 18, 618. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. The doulos, the slaves of righteousness. Verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants, slaves to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto 
Paul is. For when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What does that mean? I was free from righteousness. Righteousness had no business over you because you were owned by sin. You didn't owe anything to righteousness. But praise be to God that now you owe everything. You're enslaved to righteousness. What fruit have ye then in those whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now be made free, free from sin and become servants, do laws. It doesn't change the Greek word. It keeps saying slave all over the passage. Slaves to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness in the end everlasting life. You know, there is a song out there, mainstream Christian song, and yes, when I first came to Christ, I used to listen to a lot of mainstream Christianity, a lot of mainstream Christian songs, until I realized the heresies and false teachings that I was singing in chapter 2. And there's, you might have heard this song. I'm not going to sing it because if I sing it, you probably come with ears instead of listening to it, and I want you to listen to it. And the song says, well, lyrics or verses, whatever you call it, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Well, you know that song has been like top 10, top 3, okay, love all the time, mainstream Christianity all, all the time. But let's change it. Let's say, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a slave of God. Let's see if it makes top three. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It won't because we don't like that. Right. Right. We don't like being called a slave. We like being called a friend. Somehow, Jesus, who is the curios, the sovereign ruler, the sovereign Lord, has been reduced. To, kind of like to, I mean, forget the gene analogy because we've already heard that many times to our personal butler. No, somehow Jesus will. Somehow we make him our servant. I call upon him when I need something. It's not Jesus, how I can serve you. Jesus, how can you serve me? This new reality, now that I accepted you, what can you do for me? I think we got that confused. And I think we should all examine ourselves. And really think about this reality. Am I still sinning, attached to this sin? I can't let go? My new reality is a slave of Christ. Why am I acting like a slave of sin? We should really examine ourselves. But tell ourselves, no, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to be this anymore. Because now I have been shackled and enslaved to the perfect master. And that brings me to an even better point. Jesus didn't leave it there. He didn't just tell you you're a slave. Deal with it. And if he didn't say that, if he didn't leave you down there, why should I? Am I greater than my master? You see, Jesus 
after that verse 14 in John 15, where it says, Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you, he says, Henceforth I call you not servants or slaves. Now let's not get that confused. He's not saying that you're not a slave. You'll see that right after that, he's going to command you again. <laughs> but he's saying, you are no longer that anymore. Because he says, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. Last time I checked, a slave does what he's commanded to do just because he's commanded to do so. He has no business knowing his master's business. He has no business knowing his master's private life. He has no business being intimate with the master. You just do because I tell you, that's it. But Jesus didn't leave you there. But I have called you friends. I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have been known to you, unto you. He shares everything. He says everything. All things that I have heard of my Father. I have made known unto you. Amen. Now, what a wonderful reality is that. Right? Now we really, really know each other. Now we really have an intimate relationship with Christ. We are slaves and his friends. We have slaves that have become friends. He has called us friends after being a slave. Now the next verse says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen Who's the picture? If you think about it again, first century slavery, race slavery for that matter, you went to the marketplace, you bought slaves. So you can go to the dealership and buy a car. You can literally have them all lined up and buy slaves. Choose the one that you want. Right? Tall, short, black, white. Choose the one that you want. Buy it. If you have the right price, you can buy it. They're yours. Property. You choose your slave. The slave didn't choose the master. What Jesus says, what does he say? He hath not chosen me, but I have chosen him. And then normally, after a slave would have been purchased, then they would have been in charge or ordained or commanded to do something. Jesus says, I have chosen you and ordain you. I chose you. I purchased you. Now I command you, and I put you to work, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask, and this is praise God for that, of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And that was another reality of slavery. You see, the slave didn't have to worry about where his next meal was going to come from. Because the slave was cared by his master. In fact, many times, a slave was placed over all belongings in the house of the master. I mean, this is not a concept that is strange to the Bible either. You remember Joseph? Place over the house of Pharaoh. Second in command to Pharaoh only, Pharaoh himself. Now these things Jesus has done, and then he says, These things I command you 
that you love one another. Friends, we have become slaves. We have become, because we have become slaves, we have now become friends. Where one comes before the other. Because we were purchased with a price. We were purchased with his blood at the cross. He is the loving and perfect master that died for his slaves. And in case that's not, in case that wasn't good enough, he doesn't need it there. Because then he says, and I'm going to jump to chapter 8, verse 14, Romans. Romans chapter 8, starting verse 14. 14 to 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. My friend, now you're not only his friend, he has made you his son. Verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And I know that sometimes, you know, no longer slave to fear, my child God. And that, that part, right? We are not in bondage again to fear or to sin. But we have received the spirit of adoption, and we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, this is a wonderful reality. In fact, this is something that I myself have gotten to experience in my career because I've been able to do a few adoptions. And just the joy that comes in that final hearing when you see a judge declare a lost child, a child that didn't have a parent, Say, son, he are your parents, or parents, he are your child, he is your child. Legally, now you are his or her parent. In that celebration and applause and joy and love. You know, many times in the court, you just get to see a lot of negative things, but not in an adoption. You see that wonderful reality, you participate in that. And imagine this heavenly adoption where you have become a son, a child of God. What a wonderful reality is that. And then after that, verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. If so be it that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. My friends, pastor did something earlier in his earlier sermon that I loved. And it was that he paused in the middle of it. Right? And he posed a question. And he asked, because after he said, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 10 years, or 10 months, or 10 days, or 10 hours, or 10 minutes, it doesn't matter, right? Are you sure? Are you sure that if you were going to die, die today? You were going to heaven. Are you sure that you're saved? Why am I bringing that up? Because the fact that you're a slave guarantees that you're going to heaven. The fact that you're a slave to Christ guarantees that you're saved. You're a son of God. 
That is where we ought to derive joy from being enslaved to Christ. Because it doesn't stop there. We have been adopted, grafted, made sons, and made joint heirs. We have been rescued. We have been purchased. We have been delivered from the grasp of sin and the devil, from utter darkness into the light, into a life of joy and freedom. That's why I said in the beginning, did you know that you were a free slave? You are free from sin. Enslaved to the most wonderful master. The master that laid down his life for his servants. May that enslaved. May make you joint heirs with him. He makes you a citizen of heaven. And just to make one last, one last comparison to the picture of slavery. It wasn't, it wasn't an uncommon thing in Greco-Roman era, in the Roman Empire, to have a master adopt the slave. When they will adopt their slave, they will become citizens of the empire. They will gain an identity, a new identity, and they will become a child of the master. That is exactly what the Lord, Jesus Christ, has done with us. And we ought to take joy and rejoice in that. We have heard those words many times. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But we should truly live for that day. Examine yourself every day. Does my life reflect this reality? That I am no longer a slave to sin. That I don't have to sin. That I don't have to stay in here. That I don't have to stay subjected to this tyranny. That I don't have to be in our darkness. That I don't have to live like this. Because I am a child of the Most High. And a slave. And we should all aspire to one day. One day here. Even more so. Well done. Good. Slave.